I mean, his own father just basically was like, I don't know what you do for a living, but it's not work and never valued him and then died. to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. So is Mr. Hines a down-to-earth kind of steel-town, German-Polish, drinks-beer-out-of-a-can kind of guy? No, he's boring. Welcome to They Coined It. I'm Roberta Lip. I'm Dan Jasper. And we cover Mad Men episode by episode. And we have a Patreon if you would like to support us. That is the best way to do it. Other than your just loving support and your reviews on Apple that are four stars or more. I think four is the maximum. Anyway, patreon.com slash they coined it pod. And then follow us on the Twitter and the Instagram at TCI Mad Men Pod. Look, so I think I mentioned it an episode or two ago, but we had Signal 30, Faraway Places, and Codfish Ball. I believe you used the word triptych. Triptych. Triumvirate. If you will. Oh, I will. I think this is the best three-episode stretch, definitely since season one, maybe altogether. I'm blown away all over again. My, My one dear friend, George, and I speak frequently. When he and I met, we had the blog, and he had already sort of trailed off Mad Men, so he had really watched a bunch of it, and then, but he never kept up. And this whole season, I'm like, wait. You don't know what Zooby Zoo means? Mm-hmm. I'm like, George, you gotta, you gotta see these two episodes, right? And then almost every week, and I realized I actually said it to him this morning. I was like, I keep wanting you to watch these episodes, which means to me, I am having a new relationship with this season. Oh, me too. Hugely. Like, I am like, oh, this fucking season. <laughs> I know. The marriage is like a world that I, I really didn't ever honor. Season five is a revelation. It is. And you're right about these three for sure. Yeah. Well, next week is Lady Lazarus, so don't don't get too don't get too don't get too thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> we fall off a cliff. It's a it's a mighty <laughs> steep cliff. Like I said, roller coaster. We've been talking about this roller coaster going up the roller coaster. Now we're just like, ah so of course we're gonna fall. No, this has uh been very enjoyable. Just these these episodes and, and look, the other ones have been great supporting episodes too, but these three are like an unbelievable peak. Within this season, for sure. Those first four or five episodes every season, it's not that they're not excellent. No. But they are, they are, they have a different pace and they are building blocks. You know, it it really is, and Matthew Weiner, again, like, he's not looking to do the same show that he's done. That's not sort of, it's, the jumping off point is sort of the, the psychological place that the, his characters are and the, the moment in time that they are now later in the 60s. But he's not looking to do this, a, a, a continuation of the show he did in season four. It's just not not what it's about, which, again, we're conditioned to expect that, especially this late in a series, frankly, after four whole seasons. But we also recognized it. There it was, the end of season four. Suddenly, there's going to be a new one. No, he set it up. We now have a new office and a new wife. And I, I think in words, we actually said like the whole new show, like new wife is a whole new exactly. show. And, and the characters we're, we're with now, obviously they're the same characters, but they're not, they're in a totally different space than they were when we dropped off season four. 
happy, ambitious Roger is just wild to hang out with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Marie says it to him, like, you're so, what, energetic and ambitious, whatever the line was, but ambitious. And I was like, that's new. That's a word Roger hasn't heard in a while. <laughs> for sure. Well, don't blink, because... <laughs> anyway, at the Codfish Ball, written by Jonathan Ingla. Yeah, Jonathan Ingla is one of the executive producers of Bridgerton. Oh, cool. So, he's doing okay. Uh, directed by Mike Uppendahl, Michael Uppendahl. The original air date was April 29th, 2012, and takes place over late September early Oct- or early October 1966. Uh, so, this is the episode where Donna is accept- accepting an award from the American Cancer Society, and Megan's parents visit them to join, uh, v- visit New York to join them at the dinner. Sally, who has been keeping in touch with Glenn, also attends. Abe asks Peggy to move in with her. We'll get to that scene. Uh, Megan comes up with a winning idea to save the Heinz account. So. It's a lot that happens. Doesn't feel like a lot, actually, within that little description, but who boy. This is one of those episodes that's both its own short story, its own self-contained sort of fable, and a continuum of all the things. And And draws from not just what's been building this season, which is substantial, but from over over four seasons, it, I think there are things you can point to that go back and back and back and just very rich, very, very rich. Amazing, amazing. Well, we start with Glenn. Sally, yeah. Glenn up in, up in Hotchkiss, is that where he's at? Some kind of boarding uh, school. Somewhere. <laughs> Some boarding school, but I love... You know, my I've got two kids who are about to go into college in the fall. And it's, you know, I get questions like, can I bring the PS4? You know, these kids had one telephone in the hallway. There was... Like prison. It's like prison. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and there was, you know, the idea wasn't that your room is an entertainment center. That is a, kids, that is a decade, decade and a half proposition. <laughs> That's how old it is. Yeah, the phone in the hall. I just love that as a, a way of life. <laughs> yeah, not the phone in your pocket, right? <laughs> Let alone in your room. That's like four generations ago. So Buffy is 90s and they have, I mean, this is how, this is, again, how how do I know what happens in the world? Mm. I watch television shows. And Buffy, they had, they had a phone in the dorm room. In individual the, in like the room. Two, yeah, individual room, right. two people in it. It was, this was, listen, this was a much roomier room than... <laughs> actual humans had that much i know listen i used to sell posters i used to work in the mall and sell posters back to school was a huge time of year <laughs> a lot of all uh, those posters all the sure. clips and the monets yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, animal house <laughs> quotes so he gets the call from sally which i think is cool they talk regularly he's like oh a weeknight <laughs> you know yeah. it must something must be special but she's definitely you know, playing that teenager. Sure. She's definitely being that uh, bye-bye birdie, mm-hmm. you know, teenager in the are. phone scene. He's, he's mouthing off to his friends and everything else. Yeah, he's a full-on poser. <laughs> There's definitely a, like, little play acting. And I just think it sets the stage really well. But it's real. The play acting aside, I think there's a real connection between them of some kind. Yes. I don't, I don't, I don't object to that. I There's, they have... They've been connected ever since they both got, you know, they both have divorced parents and they both got displaced and they both have a, a dislike of Betty for very, Betty. 
different <laughs> reasons. What is effective in this whole setup is this very much is an episode. It's like, there's so many themes in it. And I think disappointment is one of the themes, but certainly multiple generations is a theme hmm. and, and parents and children. And, 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 and then in Sally's case, you know, we really see what she's going through in the growing upness of her weird life. Yeah. I mean, the title, <laughs> the title at the codfish ball is this Shirley Temple yeah. song. Yeah. yeah. So I went ahead, I found the YouTube and I watched it and it is Shirley Temple at her most Shirley Templeness. Mm. And if you're unfamiliar coiners with what that means, you cannot believe how enchanting it is. <laughs> I mean, like utterly enchanting and utterly, this is, this is a little, little girl. And she opens doing the song alone, but she's with a bunch of sailors right. and it turns into a duet with Buddy Ebsen. And it's very much the vibe of her and Roger. Like it's wonderfully pushing it to the edge where it could get creepy and never, never, never does. It's a genius title. It's a genius title. I mean, it comes from nowhere. <laughs> this is, by the way, this is not good chip lollipop. This is not like what's on the pop culture radar, even if you were going to talk about Shirley Temple. <laughs> this is not the not the one you go to, right? I don't know, because I'm not, I wasn't, I didn't grow up on Shirley Temple. The song, I'll tell you, the song rang a bell. Really? Once I listened. Okay. Yeah, the, like the, not the title, but as I, I got into it, the melody was, was a little familiar. So, the, I mean, we only can, you and I. I'm going to say, I'm going to venture, can name one good ship lollipop. <laughs> Look. I'm going to write it down. Yeah. I'm going to start my list. Yeah. It's on the good a ship it's lollipop. It's a list of one. Um, Wait, I thought of another one. Oh, shit, I have that. I can that. count on one <laughs> finger, my my Shirley Temple notes. But um, Exactly. But my point is, it, it predates all of us. I'm going to include all of our listeners here. <laughs> There's, there is no one who grew up watching Shirley Temple in any meaningful way, I don't think. Um, but my point is, it's a pull. It is a deep pull <laughs> going Back decades and decades. And, you know, who knows? I, maybe it was popular very contemporaneously. I always keep in mind that Matt and I are the same age. Mm. We're literally like a couple months apart. So our cultural references can be similar. I, I recall he didn't watch a lot of TV as a kid. Like he, they didn't, they didn't let them right. or whatever. So maybe old movies was the thing. And if your parents were Shirley Temple fans, maybe. that's, I mean, and, I don't know. And, 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 and it could have been someone from the writer's room who just had a, yeah, a, a exactly. certain level of inspiration, but this is an inspired title. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's really amazing. Sally called the police who called an ambulance. And while they were waiting, Sally, come on. I put her foot on a pillow and put ice on it and kept her calm. Oh, was it begun? This is wonderful. So we go from this phone call to Pauline and her accident in the hallway mm. and Sally kind of saving the day. And then that's how that's our entry point into the rest of the show. And it's the phone wire, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. She lies about it immediately. She's well, there's a lot of lying in this episode and there's a lot of lying witnessing in this episode. And sh and Sally, I was just pointing to the irony that Sally's on the phone and she's pulled the cord across the hallway Totally. To, to be able to talk with the door closed, and that's what trips up Pauline. And then the next thing she tells the story, when they make her tell the story. <laughs> right, she doesn't mention that. <laughs> she, no, she says it's it was Bobby's toy. She literally lies. <laughs> well, look, she also wasn't there. She didn't see Pauline fall, so we'll, we'll, I'll, give her, I'll give her a pass and say, we don't know what, she, does she know what made Pauline trip? 
If you don't know, you don't make up a fully false thing. <laughs> well, the phone flew out of her hand, so I'll 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 rescind that. <laughs> I'll rescind my my uh, giving her the benefit. <laughs> I mean, Pauline was a little drinky, I think. That's but the point is, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yes, she definitely tripped over so the Sally phone lied. wire. I'm with you. Okay. And Sally full out lied. The point is, there's this opening of sort of setting the stage of who, of who Sally is in relationship to her age. Oh, yeah, that's great. She's this sort of teenager who's who's hanging out with an older boy and acting a little yeah. older in that way. And then she's this this little girl who saves the day when Pauline, her babysitter, mm-hmm. has an accident. And then when they bring her in and, we'll, you know, we'll get to we'll get to Don and Megan's and the parents and all of that. But they sort of pr- parade her again as this little Shirley Temple who saved the yeah. day? You know, tell everybody, yeah. you know, tell, tell. So you're really setting that up. Like we start with this child who's not a child, who is a child, who isn't a child, and we're looking at all of that. And there, and no mother. For <laughs> once sure. Again. No, you're you're pointing to the fact that Sally, just in this within the confines of this episode, plays her age above her age, and in some ways, I'm sure you could find below her age. There's this constant flux of where she is in relation to her biological age. Which is what it's like to be that yeah, biological age. Yeah. Whatever she is, 12 or 13, it's so, it's, I lose track and it's hard to tell, but whatever, you know, she's in there. It's, part of it is that it's what it's like to be that age. Part of it is she's this little parentified <laughs> child of a distant mother and an alcoholic, arguably father. And, you know, whatever, whatever she is, she's, Sally's taken in a lot and she is tough. Yeah. yeah. And this is She's tough. But it, but they chose this episode to highlight her development. Right? Yeah. Which was which was really great. And I love that the whole Pauline incident at home um organically brings her to Don and Megan's apartment for the event and you know then she gets to go to the you know all of that is very organic. You don't it does not feel forced. It feels incredibly natural, which is so awesome. Now Sally's there. And what more importantly, actually before that even happens, we get to meet Marie and Emile Calvet. Let me tell you, we hadn't seen Julia Ormond in a while. I was a huge fan of the remake of Sabrina that she was in. I I am a huge one. It's one of my favorite rom-coms with Harrison Ford. But there she was in her 20s. This Julia Ormond was like worth waiting for <laughs> like salty gorgeous just fabulous what a what a what a role what a performance what an actor and, and the fact that she's so amazing for folks like me who julia ormond was a name i kind of knew but no was not i never saw sabrina that was not anything i related to uh at all there was something else she was known for that but i'm I don't, sure that i'm sure I, she's had a whole career mother, people yeah. i know are very favorable towards her um and she's wonderful in this and beautiful my god just great to look at oh no she's drop dead gorgeous She's just, this is such a performance. So we, she's Marie, uh, Megan's mother. Emile is Megan's father. And they are, <laughs> they are that couple. <laughs> it's what it is. You know, in some ways, in, in ways that matter, Megan married her father. I mean, Don is not political. So that's why I say in some, in ways that matter. You know, in some ways, what we see is that she married to rebel against her or you could make an argument that marrying an ad man 
basically her father's age, <laughs> is a bit of a rebellion against him. But I just see a man who's a chronic cheater. Mm-hmm. This is a man who has been having affairs with his grad students her you whole life. You can go back and, and say when she meets Don and understands who Don is, she goes, I know that guy. <laughs> I know that guy. And, you know, psychology 101 is I'm going to try to tame the beast. I'm going to bring it close to me so I can tame it. And that's how I'm going to fix my childhood. Oops. Good luck with that. I'm sure that'll go well. That's Megan on a couch right there. I'm sure that will end well. <laughs> it always does. <laughs> but no, Emil is like separate from the philandering. You know, he's one of these guys as an intellectual. He's always thinking in terms of class and the economics of society, which is weird. But people are like that. Or there are people like that. And as Americans, we're sort of conditioned not to think like that. He's obviously not American, but at the same time, he walks into an apartment like Don and Megan's in Manhattan and kind of so decadent. And what did they do to earn this? And what did my daughter do? And what you know, how, is this fair? Like, it's a little weird. It's, it's a weird way of looking at it. Weird meaning foreign to us. But it, it, it is so different and yet so natural to him. And I found that kind of interesting. I don't know if millennials would agree with your assessment True. that it's, I think it's an actually unusual changing way to f- in that direction, but it's think, still not yeah. close to where this Emil is. <laughs> Marie's line is Emil is confused. His eyes and his politics are having a fight. That's a great <laughs> fucking perfect. line. That nails it. That's great, great line. The other line that jumped out at me, by the way, and it's it's like very early in in meeting Emil, he says. My daughter pretends to find interesting what I find interesting because she loves me. And I found that incredibly um, just really powerful in light of where we last left off. You look at faraway places and that's the whole All right. oh, yeah. that's jam the, right there. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. And then, and then leads to how, where this ends, too. You put this on Don and you say it again. My daughter pretends to find interesting what I find interesting because she loves me. And where this episode ends is it's very clear. She is really talented at copywriting and she's not, it's not that interested. Passion. Right, right, right. And he sees it. And that, that, that's, what, yeah. that's what we learn. Um, but no, that's a really great observation. I think there's a lot of things that Emil says that if they were if they were um, spoken by a happier man would Mm. come across much differently, self-effacing, kind of charming. But what we know almost instantly is that Emil is not a happy man and he's not carefree for a lot of reasons. And that gives a certain tinge to his words, to his dialogue. And I think that's what's one of the things that's so fascinating about his character and about this episode, because it plays into so, so much of what happens is because of the fact that Emil is not a happy guy. The other thing that shines through in this episode uh, in, in the different storylines is parents who really do have your best interest at heart and who really maybe do know better, regardless of what they, what it, the filter that it's coming out their mouths through. Well, you know what um, that, that reminds me of is uh, Ho-Ho and his father. There was a relationship there of the father kind of knowing what's best and how he dealt with it. It's not so much painting a, a, a picture or, or contrasting, well, here's how one handled it and here's how the other. It's just sort of, or one was right and one was wrong. But what's interesting is how each sets of parents, or in this case, parent, 
deals with that fact. My son's an idiot, and I have to let him be an idiot, was effectively how the father handled it. Here, it's my daughter's not, I'm not thrilled with the choices my daughter's making, and I have to have a conversation. I have to let her know that this is how I see it. And that's interesting, too. And it'll come up again with Catherine and Peggy. I do love the, um, to your point about when you said uh, uh, Megan finding her dad in Don, <laughs> taking care of a drunk in, in that oblique way <laughs> that that Marie, you know, kind of stumbles away from the table and she goes and takes a cigarette out of her hand on the bed. Same thing. Fair enough. Correction. She married her parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She found both of her parents in Don, basically. <laughs> Amazing. 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 Last night when I was feeding the kids spaghetti, I realized that my mother had made it for me and that her mother had made it for her. And I got this picture in my head of her becoming me, like with one of those movie dissolves. Let's have some beans. Beans, beans, beans. More beans, 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 beans over this beans, fucking beans. season five beans. <laughs> beans. <sighs> Her idea uh, flowing from that the dinner and at the house and serving spaghetti to Sally and all the rest in the world of Mad Men and, and the way we relate it to our that's a that's a real ad. Like we've seen that ad in some form, right? When Megan presents it to Don in his office, she's in that fabulous Red, white, and blue <laughs> outfit, which actually isn't that interesting. She sounds like Don in that scene. The rest of the episode, she let she she defers a little bit. To me, she sounded like she was, she may as well have been saying, I had this friend and he was Greek. Like the, <laughs> right. the way she set it up for him and this, this, yeah, the rhythm yeah. of it. Oh, it's great. The rhythm of it and 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 how it came to her and the, the whole That's thing. Phenomenal. That was a perfect Don Draper pitch to Don Draper. Don's reaction to it. Like I think it's 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 just sort of a given. Great idea, great pitch, well sold to the boss who's your husband, or I should say to your husband who's the boss. It's the one area that being his wife has no weight with him, other than that she can get in the door and give him the idea. He hasn't paid one bit of attention to her copywriting talent. This this would only get his attention, boobs or no boobs. You know what I mean? This would only get his attention if it was good, and it was fucking good, and I said it last he week. He genuinely recognized it as, a, as a, an inspired idea. But I think that we all do. Like, we're not mystified by that. We see that, and it's plain to everyone that this is solid. And Don says as much. What happens after that, though, I found very curious. He rams it down the team's throat. He calls him in, and he says... We're changing the, we're changing the creative. <laughs> now Megan is the reason why they have to redo all the work. Now, listen, but w- w- it's the way that he did it. To me, if I were Don, and I'm not a creative director, but just as a professional and as someone who's led teams and all the rest, I would say, Megan, that's a phenomenal idea. I really like it. Go in there and talk to your team about it. Sell them on it. I want to hear from them that they want to go back and redo this because I really think it's great. But if I go in there, then I'm your husband, who's their boss, having to do this and telling them that they we're going to change direction. I would much rather organically you pitch it to your colleagues because that's how it would go if she were not married to him. No, it wouldn't. I've, when has Don ever said that to anybody? What are you talking about? I'm not saying he would. That might be the best way to do it in today's world. But Don, 
when Don decides like the creative sucks, he says the creative sucks. Here's the new creative, whatever it is. Don doesn't pace anything. I agree. He's not doing Megan any favors by announcing this is our new direction. He's not. The team is not behind it. And he's making the decision by fiat, even if it's the right idea and solid and all the rest that we all agree. But there's, you know, they were pissed when Don said that, as they should have been. I didn't get any of that. I got that they were pissed because anytime Don comes in and makes a blanket decision, I didn't. Here's what it is. It was a last minute change of plans. We don't know. Do we know what the previous plans was? They just lost Peggy. Do we even know what they were working on? We We don't. We have a miserable client and we have one chance to pitch to him. And he just heard the great idea. Now, whether he heard it from her or had it himself doesn't matter. If Don had the great idea, he would walk into that room and say, redo everything right now. And they would be pissed at him, like always. So I don't I don't really see this. But he's saying Megan had this idea and this is what we're going with. Now change it. And I don't think that does Megan any favors. I would want I would want him. He, he again. I know this is a more contemporary viewpoint, so I'm not expecting it. Yeah, I don't likeness. know what tree you're barking up. I guess. Well, I'm just saying that he, there's no finesse to how he's running his team, and and that includes his wife, Megan, who he's not doing any favors for. I'm just saying he thinks he's he's so impressed with her. We could even say shocked that he's not thinking of well. Okay, there's the rest of the team in there who's not married to her, and she is a junior colleague, and we are now changing on a dime for this idea that they have never heard. And we don't know what their buy-in is. Maybe they'll make it better. Whatever. I'm thinking of it from a team perspective. And I think from that perspective, he handles it like an asshole. All right. I don't think that's anything new from Don. No, I'm not saying that it is. I'm just observing that this is how it went. Now, see, the truth and packaging bill they wanted to pass would hit everybody hard. But now there's no teeth, so nothing should change. There's this dinner that we come to. Evidently, there's a restaurant at the top of the Time Life building. I think we discussed that on the blog. There really was a restaurant at the top of the Time Life building. Oh, I'm sure. Which is I'm sure cool that's on not its own. Made up. And it's pretty clear, even before Megan and the boss's wife are going to the potty, that um, things aren't happy. The things aren't long lasting for this account. He's trying to get away from the whole situation. He's been in town longer than he told them. He yeah. let them know. Yeah, there's there's it's getting very obvious something is wrong. But then Megan comes back with the with the actual news and and gets it into Don's ear. Then this was entirely believable that Don effectively has to first of all take credit for this idea, which I think plays today as very sexist. And, and I'm sure that there is a lot of misogyny in there. On the other hand, how much of it is sexist and how much of it is it's going to sell better from the boss than from the junior member of the team, regardless of their gender? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't attack it from the sexist standpoint at all, because that was an example of where it was just in the moment and in the time and it had it, it had something to do with gender and it had something to do with rank and it just it didn't bother me at all what i thought was very interesting was megan knew you must present this right now and don didn't want to and hesitated and she tossed it to don like a pro 
write Don, tell him about it. And he he resisted and he stumbled. It took him a beat to catch up with her. It took him a couple of beats. He really didn't want to. I guess because he's not used to hearing it. I don't know. He I don't know why he was so hesitant. But he did give her a good amount of credit in that conversation. And they volleyed oh, that yeah. pitch yeah. beautifully. I mean, beautifully. Very, very well. And from this moment forward, Megan is self-effacing about this idea and 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 you're not always sure why like is this about trying to play it down back home with the team but it it i think by the end of the episode it looks more like she's just, it just she's just not that into it in terms of where it's leaving her but back to the dinner the other piece of it is there's another lie happening don changes the story to we gave my kid beans and everybody here loves beans because at home, of course, it was spaghetti. And when she tells Don in the office, it's spaghetti. And he's like, but we're not selling spaghetti. And she's like, Don. But at dinner, he said, and we were serving beans. He made it beans. So part of what she's dealing with is watching him so easily lie. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of, again, a lot of lying in this episode. And... Megan doesn't miss anything. But the effect is a, a, a middle of the center bullseye with with the client and Ken is right there watching the whole thing. And he literally goes from I'm firing you to I just bought this idea. I mean, it's it's the home run of all time. Let's change it to champagne. And they, I guess they, they showed him. We didn't see it, but he said, we're, we're literally going to go downstairs and show you this idea right now. And this just pushes every button that Don has <laughs> sexually and otherwise, I think. It's really weird. I mean, it's not that it's weird, but it's, I, I find it, I find Don's desire for Megan because of her copywriting, which probably should be endearing, but it it was gross to me. I don't know. I didn't find it attractive. I didn't find it, I it almost felt like a ruse. Like, it almost felt like this should really turn me on that you're the whole package. But the fact is that you just really turned me on. So I'm going to, I'm going to funnel this into an excuse so that I can be really turned on and let's have <laughs> yeah, sex again. No, I think that is right because we have an example. We have a, a point of comparison for someone who Don is not physically uh, with, who has this ability to be great at her job. And that's Peggy. Peggy's done what Megan did. Not, not with the client on in the moment necessarily, you know, switching from a, a firing to a hiring. Um, but Peggy's got inspired work, great ideas, done the perfect pitch. Like Don's seen all of that from her and that's not what they're about. So there's an interesting, I think I like what you said about he's funneling this toward where he kind of takes everything. Wants to be anyway. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, because it's his wife and there's sort of a built in excuse there. But um, yeah, the whole reaction is, is truly, truly fascinating fascinating and they they celebrate the next day and i love you know peggy's coming out of the the ladies room or whatever and sees megan and i just i love that conversation i am really amazed by it in this episode we see some really nice women supporting women and it not not the cat fight that you expect to see on a tv show and that's so overdone how women are against each other it's not true Women and Peggy was great. Peggy was like absolutely great and didn't have to be. 
I mean, of all people, Peggy didn't have to be because Peggy has other feelings about Megan and this marriage and and that, and she's the one who's on her team. So I, the fact that she's just supporting her and thrilled yeah. for and her. And she also recognizes great. the team win. That's her team. So she's, she's all in. And the whole team is happy. I guess that's why I don't, going back to, I just, yeah, he shoved the work down their throat, but that's what Don does. And they're happy that it turned out. It was a great idea. Of course. It's easy to be happy then. They had to know it was, they had to recognize that it was a great idea. And if, and we, if he was so jazzed by it, again, we don't know what the other idea was, but if this was the one that you were going to pitch at a dinner, you know, it's good. The look on Megan's face as Peggy's talking to her is equally fascinating because you're getting the reaction in real time. And Peggy's saying all the right things. This is as good as it gets. This is as good as this job gets. Savor it. Yeah. And it's big. Nobody, you know, I've done this and they don't, you know, they don't go crazy when I do it or, you know, and it wasn't bitter. It was, it was like, no, you're getting the, 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 the praise you absolutely richly deserve and and good for you. And all, all the spirit was, was there. And the look on Megan's face, it was just detached. She's processing this like, okay, wait, this is as good as this job gets. And I'm supposed to feel that's the last thing Megan needed to hear. (laughs) It's like, that's it. (laughs) It was actually, I think it was the exact thing that Megan needed to hear. But but I I mean, we're making the same point. It wasn't what she needed to hear in order to be inspired by advertising, I should say. She learned she's not going to be inspired any more than this by advertising. But it doesn't take away from what Peggy was trying to say which was really beautiful. And it's just a beautiful Mad Men moment as far as I'm concerned, where you've got one person with with going one way and saying how they feel uh, unambiguously and the other person processing it 180 degrees different <laughs> from how it was intended, but still it's truthful and it's meaningful and it's that's how people are. <laughs> so it's really fascinating. Now, before this was the scene with Joan and Peggy, because speaking again of women, of women being supportive of other women, one of the things that was great about that was it was very old form. You know, it's Joan and Peggy in their new relationship. So it didn't have that tension of how those scenes used to happen. But it was it was Peg. It was definitely Peggy, dear. Why don't you go shopping? Because uh. <laughs> she knows her whole wardrobe. She knows the whole <laughs> yeah. wardrobe. And none of them are the one you want to receive a ring in. It was a great, great. But I love scene the setup. The now there's a big setup here. There's a setup to Peggy as a character, right, where she's let down, not let down, but initially let down by it not being a marriage proposal. There's music playing underneath. By the time that's it does, it's not there at the beginning of the scene, but by the end of the scene, there's this. What scene are you talking Peggy about? Peggy and Joan in Joan's office. There's this music, this light little. Marriage music. <laughs> I'm in love music. Oh, I did not catch this. That starts to great. play halfway through that scene. And it's as Peggy's wheels are turning like, oh, I didn't think it could be. A, yeah, no. You, she walks out of there fully believe, <laughs> expecting that that's what's going to happen. She walked in there sure she was about to be dumped because that's how Peggy's life goes in Peggy's mind. Right. And Joan gives her an alternative. And with that alternative, Peggy doesn't just bite. But we're all supposed to bite because that music is there to tell us, the audience, oh, Peggy's about to get engaged. This is awesome, right? So we're there is a there is a mood setter. There is something telling you how to feel in that scene. That's just it's just so understated, but it's there. And it's telling us that we're now with Peggy. We're now completely lockstep with Peggy going into this dinner. Until she gets to dinner. 
Minetta Tavern, by the way, you cannot beat a, a dinner in New York. It's still open. Where it's is it? It's downtown. It's in the West Village. I thought it was a West Village. Yeah, I've never been there, but I I thought it was a West it Village uh, absolutely, address. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, some people say best steak in New York. They're not. They're you can definitely make that argument. One of the best brunches in New York. Oh my god. Oh really? yes. Oh yes. <laughs> good, just a good, You just went to a place. No, I, went I just to a watched. Place. <laughs> but it's just it's just f- f- fantastic food, great old New York ambiance. So it's it's a good 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 on Abe for for recommending it. They sit down and Peggy's, you know, kind of putting it on. <laughs> <laughs> putting on the, did you have something to ask me, Abraham? You know, like, <laughs> what's this about? Men don't take the time to end things. They ignore you until you insist on a declaration of hate. It was so telling about Peggy, once again, because she she's so focused on her career and she's get, she's just getting tougher and tougher and bolder. I mean, she shit the bed by being bold last time. And then was gracious with Megan. You know, she's just all about cultivating this career and this persona of around that. And then, and then underneath it all, we all we know that Peggy. I mean, it even came up with Joan. You've been broken up with. <laughs> Joan's like Jesus, fuck Peggy. Come on, like I'm a person. Yeah. You know. So she's still got that is her undergirding as a woman is that nothing is going to work for her. And and so I'm not, I don't need normal things. I'm not normal. And then the second she gets a smell that there might be a ring coming, she's just like practically got her left hand out. Like, did you have a question? And she just turns into this other character. She's just the little, not little girl, but she's the young lady who wants to be proposed to. She wants to be a princess. And that didn't work. It didn't work. And it was fascinating how it didn't work. You know, Abe... I think like most clueless guys in their mid-20s, is not anticipating that this is what she might be thinking or that she might be thinking anything. He wasn't thinking, well, I have to be careful not to make it seem like I'm, like I'm going to dump her. I have to make it careful so I don't seem like I'm going to propose, which I'm not. You know, like he's not trying to game plan this thing. He's just like, I want to get this request out there. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, and he knows enough not to do it over the phone. It's a dinner. He's doing it properly. But like any guy in his mid-20s, there are some emotional blind spots. So Abe, you know, comes out with it. You know, let's let's move in. And that's and the minute he says it, it kind of makes sense to me. Oh, it totally makes sense to us. But what's fascinating is watching her. It takes a bunch of beats because she's like, and well, she's unwinding every moment between the conversation with Joan and that moment. She has to unwind all of that in order to. But she's up. not she doesn't hear it yet. She doesn't. She's because she's so expecting the proposal. He says, let's move in together. And she's still. Why would we do that? (laughs) How would we do that? that? Right. All right. How how would we do that is because the next thing he's about to say and then it it goes back and forth. It takes her a few rounds before she is solidly clear. Like, oh, this is the whole invitation. There was a couple feet of cinder block between what he was saying and, and her understanding it. That's so true. That's that's exactly right. And her acting. I mean, the writing of it was perfect and the acting was perfect. It was. And it was subtle and they're beautiful. And they're both just, they're like a real couple in that moment that's just having trouble connecting for, for, for a second there. And they're great. They're both great. They're both great. And you look back on it and it's a very 
That is what that character would do. Abe would ask her to move in. Just for our listeners who are not as old as us, and we're not as old as to really know, moving in together was not a common thing. Mm. As her mother says, you think they're the first people to do this, <laughs> yeah. but but they lie about it. It's very uncommon. It's scandalous, and not just to Catholics. It is living in sin. It is There is no lifestyle for this. No Pottery Barn commercials, no Williams-Sonoma. We know he's going to move in with her. That's clear. Obviously, he's moving in with her. But if they were to look for an apartment together, leases would be a problem. Ownership, if they were to buy together, would be a problem. There's no space for this in this world. Not in 1966. Barely in 1975. Catherine's reaction is not an overreaction in those times. It, I mean, barely. I mean, she could be a she could be nicer about it, sure, but but this she's Catherine. Well, no, she, she's she reacts angrily because she's angry. Okay. Because just like Peggy, she had an expectation about this dinner. Just like Peggy with the last dinner. We think 100%. so. We can assume that. Yeah, I think we can assume that. They invited her to tell her something. She brought a cake. Took it back. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. You didn't give me what I want. I'm not giving you what you want. It's an entirely understandable reaction from Catherine in terms of being angry. Now, she, <laughs> she, she really stomped her heel into Peggy's heart, so... I don't know if that was necessary, even if you're the mother and you're that upset. But we know how how blunt and even cruel Catherine can be. So this is not out of character. The whole sequence of her expressing disappointment, the getting up and leaving abruptly, just I'm going to go. And the conversation, you know, when, when Abe leaves, that's when it kind of kicks in. When Peggy can be like, Ma, you didn't have to do that. Why? You want me to lie? Yes, I did. And that's that's the soul of this. That that's what's so it's so madman. It's so beautiful. Where Catherine is not just a bitter old woman or someone who this kind of sadistic mother to, to Peggy. She loves Peggy, we know, but at the same time does not hide her feelings from her and will say to her, You're doing something to me by doing this. You can call that selfish, but yeah, lie to me. You, you're asking me to celebrate something I can't celebrate, and that's not right of you. And that's an interesting take, and it's complex. It's kind of valid. Yeah. You want me to celebrate this with you? That That's what, that's what you think I'm going to do? That's more than you should be expecting that's of me. That's too much to ask of me. But also going back to what I said earlier... She is looking out for Peggy's best interest in her in her way. way. She has her yeah, absolutely. She says this guy will get married, and it won't be you. You know, listening through modern ears, you're like, well, moving in is a stepping stone Sometimes for many of it us. Is. Either yeah. either it's the end goal or a stepping stone. In that world where it wasn't a choice, there wasn't a choice on the table called "We're going to live together." It just wasn't. It was a bold hippie move. She's probably right. She's probably right. She's absolutely right when you are in agreement that the goal is to get married. That 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 is absolutely right. No, no, I'm saying he's going to marry someone and it's not going to be you? When, when the goal is to, to marry the person you're moving in with. C C Catherine and Peggy are both under the assumption that 
Peggy would want to marry Abe. Well, let's go back a second. I, I don't know if I agree with you that it has anything to do with that as a goal, because I don't think, I mean, like I said, sometimes for today, it's a stepping stone. Either your end goal is to live together, or if your end goal is to get married, first you move in for most people. So I don't know that I agree with you, but let's back up a second. Peggy gets this quote unquote proposal, and it is a proposal to do a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and Lower she says, P yes. And from that moment of her saying yes, Peggy is solidly in the camp of this is what I want. I am an unconventional person. I mean, she has that conversation with Joan. Joan gets on board and Joan acts happy for her. But we don't know that that's accurate. It becomes apparent and you're wondering all along, Peggy was about to say yes to marriage. So why is she acting so happy about this? And in that conversation with her mother, she, she says, do, what, do you want me to be lonely? And she, and, it, and it's all there. It's all there in Peggy, in Elizabeth Moss's performance. It's all there. She's terrified that she's going to, this is it. This is as good as it's going to get for her. This is not what Peggy wants. This is what Peggy will accept. Right. It's about settling. And she's lying to everybody that it isn't. And that's what her mother is pointing to, as bitchily as she is pointing. And I think that's what's changed between then and now. Moving in together now, while it might be a stepping stone, I think as many women as men, I could be wrong if I've been out of it for a while, I think there are some women who would see moving in together as... That's fine. Let's do it. Maybe it'll continue to work out. Maybe it won't. You know, maybe we'll get married in a year, two years, or maybe he'll propose in a year or two years. Well, I think I think you get to choose. I think you you could do that. It's certainly an expensive option, but it's not as expensive as getting a divorce. <laughs> it's also um, not as expensive as having two residences for a couple that's going to be together all the time. Right. Again, for some, it's an end goal. For some, sure, it's a let's try this and maybe we get married one day and maybe we right. don't. We're not I there think yet. That's contemporary. And then for others, it's eventually we'll get married. This will be the next step. Absolutely. And, you know, it's everything. It's whatever you and want. And it could be pragmatic in the meantime. We're not about to get engaged, but we are spending a lot on two rents. We are moving in that direction. Let's do this. And we want to be and together. And it'll happen yeah. as it happens. And that's that's fine too, which is a little more of. It's closer to the old-fashioned version, right? What Abe is clearly offering does not include a ring one no. day. No. It's very clear. Y yes. He, that doesn't mean it wouldn't. It just means it's not at that moment. That's not where – he's not saying, let this be a stepping stone. He's saying, let's do this. And it is very hippie. And it is very contemporary at that time. And she's not very hippie. No. <laughs> we know she's this. She's very contemporary, but she's not very hippie. You know, we view it through the one set of eyes – contemporary eyes. Uh, but Joan is the one that bridges the two, I think. Because A, she put the thought in Peggy's head, like, hey, so did you get getting proposed to last night? You know, that kind of thing in the in the kitchen. And as soon as Peggy explains, I think Joan's reaction is actually quite genuine of the good for you. This is great. This is a good thing. I don't think she's bullshitting Peggy or, or patting her on the head or kind of uh, patronizing her. I think she's She's rec she's the one recognizing. Oh, this is this is a thing. I wouldn't have done this at Peggy's age. That, that's that wouldn't have been 
how it went, but I see where Peggy's at and I see what the relationship is with Abe. And yeah, of course they would move in together. Yeah. Good for you, Peggy. This is great. I really think she believes that. I could be wrong, but I think she does. Maybe. I, I, I mean, she definitely had to switch gears and, and it's possible that that's the gear she, she switched to only because she's always been baffled by Peggy's decisions <laughs> because they're true. not hers and she doesn't really, she's never related to Peggy and the, and what Peggy wants. So she, <laughs> I've looked at marriages and been like, well, that I don't, good for them. Like that's, that looks weird to me and that's not how I would want it, but good for them. Then I find out it's falling apart. But like, you know, like if it's not from, if I don't, if I, it, it, it doesn't make sense in my filter, I'm going to be like, good on you. So that, if it's to me, if it's a genuine that it's kind of that it's like, I don't I don't even know what you're talking about. But that but that sounds like a Peggy. Yeah. thing. Then. No, I, <laughs> I, I got a vibe from Joan in that moment of, no, this is not what I would do or this is not how it would have gone for me or I didn't date anyone who would have done it this way, nor would I have responded quite so well. But I you're right. I, I've never understood what Peggy does, <laughs> but look at her. She's in this place where she could have a really meaningful relationship here. I think Joan understands people being happy, especially in the in the in the circumstance of of her marriage breaking up, which she alludes to. Yeah, and Joan, who had a a mapped plan, <laughs> right. none of those exactly. included running Bingo. and running and running a company or co-running a company, raising a baby without a father, and being divorced. So yeah, before you follow a false map yourself, and you listen to someone else planning to not follow the map, you go, but that's not what the map says. Why wouldn't you do what the map says? Look, we've got a map. Here's how it goes. And then you go on and you follow the map and you realize that map was from 100 years ago and it no longer applies or whatever the case may be, it's wrong. Only then can you look at that person again and go, oh, maybe they were right for not following the map. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. She's like, all right. All right. Well, not my map, but look at my map. So, all right. <laughs> With plenty of map talk, let's take a break. And when we come back, we got cancer dinner. <laughs> we, we got tuxedos. We got Shirley Temples. <laughs> we got all kinds of stuff. Well, everybody looks good. I mean, can we just go back before we actually go to dinner to going to dinner and Sally's dress? When Kieran and Shipka comes out in that outfit, none of us had seen anything like it. Including Don. But now we recognize it. Kiernan Shipka on the runway has turned into this phenomenal fashion, fabulous thing. And that was our preview. And it was it rattled me in a good way. Yeah. Well, they chose, like I said, they chose to to showcase her development as a young lady right here in so many ways. And that was just that's just kind of like the. That's the the hero shot of her coming out in the dress and the boots and the makeup and and just looking like a different person that we're all in completely awed by. And the beautiful part is that the characters get to react the way we react, which is so great when that happens. In a lot of ways, it's Kiernan Shipka's episode. Well, it begins and it begins and ends with her. I mean, it ends with everybody, but it it begins with her. It begins with her. It ends with her. You know, we should also mention here in, in the lead up to the dinner, an earlier scene where friend of the podcast, Talia Balsam and Roger. Oh my God, that was so good. We get about four and a half minutes with those two. The setup is 
about how Roger's going to this dinner. Everyone's going to be there. And hey, remember how we used to tag team these things back in the day? And I don't know what her deal is. She's not going to the dinner, but I guess in society, she kind of runs in these circles. They didn't tag team. She would offer to tag team. And he was like, he always turned her down. That's what he said. Oh, okay. He said, you always offered to pull some strings for me, with, for me with people with your connections. And I always said no. And now I am saying yes. Right. Okay. Gotcha. That's a good point. Again, leading up to the dinner, I guess she runs in these circles and she he's trying to lay a little track for for the dinner with with Mona. Because he's ambitious for the first <laughs> Suddenly time. Ambitious. Well, part of that came from that he needs money, but part of that that fucking acid trip really I was gonna say it came from from the acid. Blew his mind in the best possible way. It really opened him lit up. Lit a little fire under under old Roger. But the you know, we get that scene. And she looks amazing. 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 A grand dam. <laughs> I mean, just fucking fabulous. And and just a beautiful scene between these characters. Of course, they're married. We know this, but but they're divorced in the show. The scene is, it's what we hoped for and thought we'd never get between these two. And of course, he has to break up with Jane first for, for the scene to happen, perhaps. And what she says is correct. As somebody who I've mentioned, you know, I do some work for a divorce attorney. As long as she's support, as he's supporting them, what matters to him matters to her financially. That is a f- true. That is a true thing. It's also true what she said. You know, I thought you divorced me because I got old, but the reason, reality is you got old. <laughs> so I wonder how long before this episode that line was written, waiting to be used somewhere. So ac- just dead on, dead on, dead on, and delivered with precision. So that's the. The, the dust kind of forming around this, the cloud forming around this event of all of this hopefulness of, of business and turning Don's letter from last season, the letter in the New York Times, why I'm quitting smoking, quitting tobacco, hoping that that turns into gold with the American Cancer Society. Ha ha ha. Everyone's coming. Marie and Emile are going to be there. Sally's now going to be there. Other partners like Roger and Peter are going to be there, and everyone's all dolled up. So he'll see you shaking hands. You know, it's very interesting, but a lot of times you think people are looking at you, but they're not. Their mind's elsewhere. Lots of people that haven't taken LSD already know that, Roger. Peter and Emil, can we just take a moment? (laughs) It's my favorite. That was fucking fabulous. Favorite moment of the episode. Absolutely fantastic. I just jerked you off under the table. That's what I do for a living. I link it to, at the end of season two, Don in the boardroom with PPL. I sell products. I don't sell advertising. What Pete did with Emil was sell advertising. And I think we can look at it and say the difference between Don and not just Pete, but the rest of the industry, Don is not out there selling advertising. When Pete says, I bet the world would be better off knowing what you do, Emil, that's flattery and that's all. That's the hand shop under the table for sure. You're welcome. We don't know if Pete's left-handed or right-handed, though. Oh, now. Now, now. But that is Pete selling advertising. That's not Pete saying, I have a great idea to sell your product. That's not Pete saying, I've thought so much about what you do. That's Pete saying, you need to advertise. The world needs to hear what you do. That's what I do. I've got advertising, and I can use it for you. I look at what the way Don, three seasons ago, created a line, a difference between selling products and selling advertising in that scene and what Pete's doing as kind of providing a little contrast, an interesting one, 
Now, I'm not saying it's the key to the episode or anything like that, but I find it fascinating that a show like this can take something so completely unrelated, a thousand percent unrelated, but draw a line between them that you can find meaningful if if you go if you're with me on this. But I think I think there's a consistency there in the way they draw that contrast that is there's simply no show in the history of television that could do that. I'll need to watch them all. <laughs> episode by I'm episode. I'm working on it. <laughs> but you remember that line though, right? You're 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 you know yeah. exactly where I'm coming from. I actually always get it mixed up with something my old agency always said about we don't sell products, we sell ideas and and so our commodities get in the elevators every day and go home, which was a really great kind of a line and was supposed to make us feel valued, which we necessarily weren't. But anyway, so I do actually mix some of that stuff up because I was in the world of it. By the way, those are people who started their company much the way Sterling Cooper Draper Price was started. They told me that story one time because that was when the blog was happening. And they were like, did we ever tell you how we started this? And it was kind of like that, like parking lots. And anyway, I digress. But yeah, I actually, that's part of it. I actually mix that real life line and philosophy up with with what you just said. That's so funny. I definitely see a line there, you know, because Pete is selling advertising here in 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 the most generic form, but it's that's what he's doing. And he's doing it really well. I mean, that's why we're impressed. That's why there's a smile on everybody's face after that scene, including Emil's as to as to, as to the kicker. That's what I do all day. It's fabulous. I thought Emil wanted a smiled because he it was either that or just punch him in the face. I really, which is again, I somehow Pete, you know, it only takes five minutes to want to. I think, I think Emil was genuinely charmed as we were. You want it? No, you should keep it because it makes you really happy. You know what makes me happy? A beautiful young lady who will someday be wearing makeup, but not today. Megan is surprisingly absent as a presence at this table and at this event. She's the one we are, the camera focuses the least on, there's the least dialogue. What we get a lot of is Roger. (laughs) Roger and Sally. Like I said, when I was talking about Shirley Temple, you keep expecting him to maybe cross cross a line line and get creepy. And he never does. It's lovely. Because it's the Roger we love, right? It's the Roger who gives a speech. It's the Roger who can you know, hold a room captive, you know, all it's the charming Roger, the most charming part of him. But we've never seen him with a child. No, we don't no, know. But it's that same characteristic, I think. I, I guess. But we didn't know. We never know which way that's going to go because we because we kept expecting him oh, to get creepy. Oh, we can go wrong at any moment. He could, that, that's why, he it's, could just that's as why easily, it's fascinating. But it never. But it never does. I mean, until it does. But it does in a different, well, in not, such a yeah, different not way. With Megan, so, not, excuse me, not with Sally and not intentionally, of course. It ends, right. It ends up deeply impacting Sally, but, but so it's just very interesting that that's where it goes. But in the meantime, this little date thing, now part of it is she's actually, he's, he's colluding with her and he does have her witnessing some shady, schemey shit. And Sally just takes it all in <laughs> with, in stride because Sally grew up with liars and manipulators. What's the and, equivalent of asking her to, you know, make the Tom Collins <laughs> for the, for the guests, you know? But in the meantime, it's adorable. It's charming. It's lovely. You love it. It's wonderful. And she loves it. And, you know, he's, you don't get too drunk. And I'm, I'm, this is Shirley Temple because we're cutting you off. And, and the whole he's thing. giving her the, the business cards of everybody. <laughs> and go get him, Tiger, and all of that. It's just great. 
And then, of course, there's Roger and Marie, which we're starting to see that cooking. <laughs> it cooked in the apartment, by the way. It did. The, the fuse was lit. A glance, a look. Well, it was also interesting what Megan had said earlier to Don about her mother being competitive and being flirty with Don. From the second that Don and Marie meet, you are wondering, is one of them flirting with the other? Because it's not that big of a stretch. If she's older than him, it's, it's by a healthy it amount. It needs to be just <laughs> under the surface. Yeah, She's probably not as older than him as Megan is younger than him, right? And she's absolutely gorgeous and wonderful. And, and so are, you're wondering, is one of them flirting is with the other? Going and you on. never, you don't know. It's unanswerable. And then Megan's got her suspicion because she knows her mother. But you never know also. And then Roger comes in and and you just don't know. You don't know where Marie is in the flirting, but then you see it with Roger. And now we see it again. They're at the table and they're over at the bar. Yeah, the bar, it certainly kicks up a number of notches. They get into this whole discussion about him. You know, she mentioned that ambition line about him. And then, you know, it's on because Roger's already in a mood. He's already in that mischievous kind of charming slash... Uh, almost dangerous mood. Yeah, and they're talking about, what? Taking a bite out of life. They're talking about getting what you want. They're Happiness talking, and joy you know. and the rest, yeah. And everything is a wonderful misdirection about this episode. Like you said, we don't see very much of Megan, and yet there's a sledgehammer out there in the conversation she has with her father. This is, you know, comes back to, comes back around where the parents maybe know best. This is where her father says... You had goals, you had dreams, you had something that you were passionate about. We don't know what that is, but we think it's in the performing world. Acting has been mentioned more than once, and we saw her sing. So Emil sees that Megan's looking sad. He says, is this your passion? I always thought you were single-minded about your dreams and that that would help you through life. But now I see that you skipped the struggle and went right to the end. It's not the end. As she says, it's not the end, it's the beginning. He says, this apartment, this wealth that someone handed you, this is what Karl Marx was talking about. And it's not because someone else deserves it. It's because it's bad for your soul. Don't beat me with your politics because you hate that I love Don. No, I hate that you give up. Don't let your love for this man stop you from doing what you wanted to do. And then she says in French, after she told them not to speak in French, not tonight, Papa. Dan Jasper, ladies Woo-hoo. and gentlemen. But she's shook by this. And, I th- and, and because it's so tender, and because I think that little grace note of her speaking French at the end is incredibly devastating, where the intended effect is, is, is full on with the audience, that he means that he's being sincere, that this is truly how he feels. This, this is the nature and the depth of his disappointment and why. And I was saying earlier, these people who walk in into a room and all they think about is the, is the, the macroeconomic... <laughs> conditions that created that apartment or whatever it might be. It's weird, right? We're not like that, typically. We walk into a nice apartment and we go, oh, this person must be doing well. Sally walks into a ballroom and says, where's the staircase? (laughs) Where's the staircase? Exactly, right? Princess. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But this is a bit of an answer to that. I know, I do. I walk around and say, Karl Marx was, was, was right about X, Y, or Z, or this is why my daughter should be doing something else. It's an ideal for him, but it's heartfelt and it's real. And it's exactly what their relationship is about. 
You know, I thought your passion would get you through it. I thought that, you know, that you were, you were single-minded about your dreams and that the struggle was important and you skipped the struggle and that's, that's heartbreaking to him. And now we can debate whether that is the way it should be or communism or any of this stuff. It's an endless debate, I suppose. But the fact that he loves his daughter and thinks of her in this, in the, in those terms is heartbreaking. And then there's Don who has his conversation <laughs> with Ed Baxter, Ken's father-in-law, played by Ray Wise, Leland Palmer. Twin Peaks, baby. Telling him, you're a fucking pariah in this in this business, which we talked about when it happened. And then it, it's come up once or twice. Who's going to trust this guy? Well, it, was, it was interesting, even earlier in the episode, Roger's talking about, oh, it'll be like, you know, whatever he said, shooting fish in a barrel or something like that about how, how many potential clients there are at this dinner. And Don, Don said to him at the, at that time, I don't think that's how it is, but that was it. It was just that back and forth and then they're done. But everyone's proceeding as if this is a big game hunt at this dinner and Roger's acting this way and the business cards and the getting Mona to lay the track and all this kind of stuff. But when push comes to shove, and it's the real conversation with with the board member Ed. Yeah, he lays it to him straight. Yeah, and everyone, you know, Megan's father slammed her over the head with a hammer, and this is Ed slamming Don over the head with a hammer. More more misdirection. Like they'll bury your desk in awards, but they're not going to work with you. Don wrote that letter as a cynical move, and it paid off. It it made the splash that it did. And then he gets honored, non-cynically, even though he knows that all he did was write the letter to save the agency and not because he believed it. But it's now it's biting him in the ass. And, you know, when the company started, it was, we want to know all about Don Draper. Don Draper is why we're going to sign with you. And now Don Draper may be the reason nobody signs with him. Right, right. And, and, and I, would, I, would, I would amend what you said just slightly to say, I wrote, you wrote the letter cynically and it worked, but it worked minimally. It did help the firm survive. It did help them kind of stanch the bleeding a little bit or staunch, stanch or staunch, it, both stanch and staunch. Is it staunch? Is it staunch the bleeding? Staunch the bleeding. We'll, let, we'll do that in post. Staunch the bleeding to, to, to live to fight another day. But it was not a raving success where now everyone's lined up at the door, which is what this dinner, you know, this is, this is that final boot falling, uh, the final shoe dropping rather. That that letter did get them to live to fight another day, but it was by no means a windfall of business that was coming to them because the American Cancer Society was so thrilled with them. They, too, see it for what it was, <laughs> you know. So and, and the way Ed says is like the way you bit the hand, meaning you could do that to them tomorrow. Absolutely. Is GM going to hire you because they don't make a, a product that's that's not dangerous to humans. <laughs> and if they fire you, you're going to write a letter. Truly. Uh, that's yeah, not great. Get the hand. So this is all leveled on Don's head in you know three lines of dialogue from Ed Baxter. And speaking of head, so Sally catches an eyefall and is fairly devastated by what she sees. And that's it for her for the rest of the night. I mean, <sighs> they're all, you know, that last shot of them all sitting there, everybody sort of just taking in the devastating moment they just had reminiscent of, of beautiful girls and that last shot of the elevator. 
Just everybody sitting there alone and together and alone in their and thoughts. Miserable. <laughs> and miserable. Except maybe Roger, but let's call him miserable too. What was so beautiful about it, the episode, is there's this this going along this this move this movement, this 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 momentum of the episode leading to the dinner and the business. And I wouldn't call it all light and airy, but but it was entertaining as hell all the way through. Every bit of it, every scene of this episode is just you're there and you're enjoying it. But you don't know really where it's going. You know that this dinner is going to be the climax of some sort. Maybe. Maybe. You never yeah, know. But, but that's it sort of feels that way, but we don't know. But it all comes together in three minutes. It's boom, boom, boom. It's it's Megan and her dad. It's Sally walking in on 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 Marie and Roger. And it's Don and Ed having their chat. And they're all shook. Sally is shook. Look at that look on her face at the end of that discussion. Uh, uh, Sally, excuse me, Megan is shook after the conversation. Sally certainly after seeing what she saw. And Don is just, you know, like a ton of bricks fell on him after the conversation with Ed. And they all go back to that table. Yeah, in their own thoughts. They're they're alone, essentially. And that's that's the fucking show, man. God. Glenn asks Sally, how is New York dirty? Before we go to break. Can we talk about the fish on Sally's plate? Sally and the fish. <laughs> oh my well, God, yeah, that's really that. funny. Swear to God, because yeah. go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, we don't know if it's codfish at at this dinner. Let's let's say it was because it's called the fucking codfish ball. I don't know what a codfish looks like as a whole. He fish. doesn't like lay it down and say, "Ma'am, you're codfish," but it's enough on the nose. But yeah, they take a moment to show a full. You know, what's grosser to a little kid, right? That the the meal that looks like what it is. Well, Sally, already we have ascertained Sally doesn't like fish. From where? From dinner. That's why the spaghetti. She walks in and she says, I don't like oh, fish. Oh, is that okay? Yeah. Good callback. And Megan says, and to reward you for calling the fucking police, I'm making you spaghetti. So first of all, to be served a whole fish, that is a pricey, pricey thing. But it's also a particular person who can deal with a whole fish, even if you eat fish. And it if is- you don't. Super grown up. <laughs> it's super, super grown, grown up. up. And she she digs underneath, but there's a whole thing of her trying it. And, you know, she digs underneath. She 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 doesn't push it away. She doesn't be like, not only do I not like fish, but I'm not touching that guy with a face. She eats it. She tries it. She takes a bite. She contemplates it. She doesn't spit it out. In the theme of this is about Sally's growing up, that's a moment. It's, it's definitely a big moment. And it, it, the fact that they... Whoever played that fish is all I'm saying. <laughs> it's, the one, it's the one on that board that <laughs> sings and flaps around. But uh, no, it's just an amazing metaphor and an amazing visual to put that in there. And yeah, there's nothing grosser to a, to a, you know, a little kid than getting that whole fish or the, you know, anything that really looks like what it is. The reason kids cool eat chicken is because it does not look like a chicken. You know, for the, you know, a nugget is really appetizing to look at (laughs) whatever it might, whatever form it might take. But yeah, that's daunting. When she comes back to the table after seeing Roger and Marie, the waiter is right there and she's like, no, I'm done. I've had enough of being a grown up. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, man. It was a great episode. I mean, just really great. And I loved it then. And it was better than I recall. All right. We're going to take one more break. And when we come back, we're bringing back quotes. Quotes.
What's your quote, Dan? So we said earlier about Emil says things that if he were a different person would be very charming <laughs> and come off differently. The apex of that is uh, when he says uh, about his about Marie, oh, she's convinced you that she's particular. I'm the proof that she is not, <laughs> which is is a great line. I love that line on paper. And the way he delivers it is such a sad sack, defeatist, unpleasant, unhappy person. It's beautifully acted. And I don't know who the actor is, to be honest, but it's wonderfully delivered. I had a hard time picking because the quote of this episode for me, it's kind of obvious. It's the quote of my life. You're lonely, get a cat. They live 13 years, then you get another one, then another one after that, then you're done. <laughs> my girl, Catherine. Oh my God. It is vicious. It is accurate. They live longer than 13 years. That's <laughs> well, she's quoting her sister. Generally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cats generally do live longer than that. Maggie and I find that to be just one of the best quotes. Ma Maggie, Maggie's my cat. Um, so that was almost so obvious. I almost didn't want to say it. <laughs> it's, it's on the nose for Roberta. It's ridiculous. So, um, no, I love. Roger's line, and I just think it's uh, fascinating, again, that kind of opening that he really genuinely had. Now, we've talked about this before, enlightenment, it doesn't last. You have to maintain it. <laughs> but he had a moment, and he said to Mona, I don't know, my whole life people have been telling me I don't understand how other people think, and it turns out it's true. <laughs> I had zero capacity for <laughs> empathy, I totally thought and you I were took gonna... this drug, and I realized I don't. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. I suck. <laughs> you thought that was going to be my quote? It's a oh, great totally. It's it was a such a you one. quote. It's a good I, one. Um, it is. No, the cat quote. I, I, um, I so love that line because of what it's intended to do. And these two, these two characters, you know, she, it really is. That's, you know, that's her hammer on, on Peggy, really. But the whole episode is about this kind of, you know, we said, I remember in Shoot, I, I made that comment about the, um, I think it was Tennyson, Red in Tooth and Claw. There's a little of that here, too. The ugliness of unpleasantness, maybe is a better word, of reality as whatever stage of life you're in, if you're Sally being exposed to, <laughs> to blowjobs, if you're Peggy trying to settle without telling yourself you're settling, if you're... Um, thinking that you're in this place where everyone's celebrating you and that's going to turn into business and it's not. There's just this all this unpleasantness about about all of this business going on in this episode and it's just in your face. This is... I'm telling you, this is an episode about disappointment. Yeah, truly, truly, truly. And, and they do it so elegantly with this script and with these performances, everything all around. It's, it's stunning, stunning. So I liked it. All right. Next week, Lady Lazarus. <laughs> uh, no comment. Less stunning. Thank you so much. So, so, so much for listening. Thank you guys. And we will see you next time. All right. If you would like to support the show, as many of our listeners do, go to patreon.com slash they coined it pod. You get many bonus episodes and other treats. Another way to support us is to leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. Email us at questions at theycoinditpod.com or on Twitter and Instagram 
at TCI Mad Men Pod. They Coined It is produced and edited by Roberta Lip. Our logo and merch graphics are by Albert Stern of Stickrest Arts. Our theme is from Adam Tilford. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dan Jasper. See you next time.